0: Welcome back to the TD Pod. Uh, this is a true welcome back. I don't know the last time we did this. It was sometime kind of mid-late season, 2022. Uh, Jeff, do we need to do the, the life updates for everyone? Uh, do you want to do a short recap of what's been going on? Uh, we lost power yesterday, um, all day, but thankfully we we're able to stay at the in-laws. But it's sunny out, the, 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 um, the freezing, oh my gosh, what is it called? The ice is melting in the backyard. Everything's good at the Rotor household. How are things up there at the, at the Davis household?
1: Well, we're we're on day 4 of no school and um I intellectually I understand the reasons why you don't have <laughs> school on these it also I there's this old man part of me that's I mean I'm 40 now so I'm just going to lean into this I mean just start it late get him out of the house let them know that school's important, but you know, i I'm, I'm 400 years old and I'm going to ramble about school starting late. So um, we're, we're doing fine. Other than that, we finally got our construction all the way uh, wrapped up at the end of the year and uh, back kind of, kind of to the grind. It's been, it's been weird. This January has been a weird month in that um, with no stress around the house and no, not nearly as much football on, it's almost felt like a vacation in a weird way for us. It's just, we've had so much going on that it's been nice the last month to really get a little bit of time off even though it hasn't been time off so um, that's really the update on us
0: yeah and I'm not really an NFL guy but um, it seems like it should be a great game this Sunday so that'll be fun to, I, just from a pure from a pure football perspective it seems like a really fun football game I, it's gonna be a really good game um, I
1: my gut tells me that Philadelphia is probably going to win with the injury to Mahomes, he just there's so much that they do out of pocket, out of structure naturally that they that they really lean on. That when he can't get outside the pocket consistently, um, I don't know that they have receivers to hold up because if you're you can you can mask a lot of receiver play if you can consistently get outside of the pocket. And if they can't do that, then it becomes a little bit more reliant on um, Kansas City's deployed guys to be able to execute well against a good philadelphia defense so uh, i i my gut tells me it's gonna be philadelphia but you know we'll see
0: yeah i always uh, last thing about the nfl before we switch over to baylor here but uh ian boyd's always been really good with uh monikering the nicknames and i remember after baylor gave up the what was it 31 point lead 20 whatever it was um he called uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen Hurts. The, he called him Hurts. The inevitable, I think, and I, I feel like that's one of the best nicknames for him because that dude just—he doesn't go down. He just comes after you, play after play. It's a four-yard gain. It's a six-yard gain. He seems inevitable. So there's there's that aspect of this game too. I like Hurts. I think everyone kind of enjoys rooting for him. He's a he's a really fun football player to watch. He is a fun football. It's it's really nice to see that type of game at the pro level because.
1: I think it's really underestimated what Philadelphia is doing. They are very – it's a deliberate choice to spend that little money on a quarterback and to be able to build out how they've done so elsewhere. And I mean, I've, I've actually been a proponent of that for a long time. I think that if you don't have one of the elite QBs that's spending $40 million on a quarterback, I think this is Dallas' problem, but I think you can't spend $40 million on a QB unless you have one of the elite QBs, and if right. you don't – it's just almost impossible to win a Super Bowl, And I, if what Philadelphia has done is to say, okay, we can't get an elite QB. So we're going to like, we're going to purposefully do something different. We're going to build off of a guy that can consistently execute a run game at the NFL level. There are not a lot of QBs that can do that. And they've been able to really build out around him in a way. It'll be interesting to see what kind of contract they offer him in the offseason, But um, I, the style differences between the two, there are really two different ways you can build an NFL team and, and potentially win a super bowl. And we've got those, we've got the two different visions right. in the game. Oh, so it's, it's going to be very interesting.
0: Well, cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Let's, uh, switch gears here to talking to Baylor football this is the first time you and I have talked Baylor in a while. I mean, obviously we've, We've done some texting and everything else, but you know, on the TD Pod, um, this is not going to be a 22, 2022 recap. Um, a primarily because that's depressing. Um, you know, B, we're a little bit far removed from it, so we can kind of shift our gears to thinking about twenty twenty-three. So, really, the the goal here that Jeff and I want to uh, bring to the table is kind of just providing an overall primer for kind of what we learned from twenty twenty-two, where Baylor's at. You know, currently, this is February third of 2023. Um, You know, spring ball starts in about a month. Uh, They've signed a signing class. They've brought in, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven transfers, something like that. And just kind of thinking about, you know, what are their goals for the spring? How are they, what did they learn from 2022 in what they're trying to fix and kind of establish for the spring? Because, you know, I think this is a really important season uh, for Baylor, Jeff. I'm sure you would agree um, you know, football does this thing where we put coaches, they're either on the hot seat or they're not on the hot seat. And it's, I think it's a 1,000% inaccurate to say that Dave Aranda would be on the hot seat. Uh, but I also think it's, you know, uh, every coach after a year one or two, there's a certain floor in the sense of, hey, man, you can't win two games this year. And so, uh, yeah. you know, it, 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 you need to see kind of constant progression. Um, and so I think this is an important year for Baylor, for Aranda, for the football program as a whole – Mac Rhodes has talked about how Baylor has to become a program, especially as we enter this new kind of Big Two and then the Big Twelve era. In the sense of, he's like, you know, we don't want to oscillate between greatness and then mediocrity. We we need to kind of establish really consistently good play. And so I think this is a big year after six and six to kind of you know not be around six and six or seven and five this upcoming year, but it, to to be kind of more in that upper echelon. And all that starts now. That all starts with the, what they've been doing in the portal with with the kids they've added in the recruiting class and what they do in spring ball. So with all that said, um, just kind of establishing a primer, I think where we should start is, uh, again, we're not doing a full 2022 recap, but what, Jeff, if you uh, you know, I don't know if we want to do a two, thing, two major things, three major things, you know, whatever I guess the number ends up being, but what do you feel like the primary lessons that the staff and the team learned from 2022 of, of maybe some assumptions they had? Um, you know, I think a good area we could start with is, um, is you know, is receiver play. They, they elected to, they, they really went after only one kid in the portal last year, um and they didn't get him and they kind of elected to just to just uh, try and develop the guys they had. Um, do you, so I, I know that you think and I think the coaching staff probably thinks too that receiving play was a was a major disappointment in 2022. Um, they brought in Keytron Jackson for this upcoming class. Um, how, you know what do you think the lesson was for that room and how they're going to try and fix it going into 2023?
1: So I think. You know, it's it's diff, It's it's very hard to say for certain without being, without being in the room. Y'all hear me say that all the time. Like, we're not in the room, we don't know for sure. We're not in the room, we don't know for sure. I think that the issue that they had prior to last season was that a, a phrase that I had heard a couple of times from a few different people was... Um, something along the lines of we don't want to bring in people that are not significantly better or have a significant chance of competing compared to what we already have on campus. And I think that's a good, I, I think that's a very good guide guideline, which is you don't want to bring in people just to have new blood. There's, there's no real reason for that. So my, the way that I view it last year was that they did not they didn't find anyone that they thought was a, was significantly better than what they had potentially on campus for the next year. I think that the the underlying issue for last year really to me goes all the way back to the shape and versus GB comp, the the decision because I think they assumed rightly or wrongly that the receiving play would be further along than it was, and I. Didn't think. I don't think they expected the significant number. There were a lot of injuries to skill to important skill position players this mm-hmm. year. You know, Baldwin was banged up. I think to the point that it was borderline. He should probably have been playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that not, Baylor's not going to put him in an injury list situation. It's not that, but I mean, you can tell when those quick twitch dies do not have it, and he did not have it for large stretches of the second half of the season. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have. Uh, you know they had running back issues to the point that Reese was taking thirty plus carries for multiple times in a game, and we saw him fall off in a big way because freshman running backs. I mean, there's like one or two, maybe a year that can take that type of workload that come out, and it Reese as much promise as he showed. I mean, there are NFL guys that struggle with that workload. I mean, that's a huge workload that he took on in October, and he you know he wore down over the course of the season. So I think a combination of Injuries plus the skill position players not being quite as good as they wanted them to be. I think partly due to I think partly due to injury is a big reason, and I think probably overrate. I mean, everyone tends to overrate their guys a little bit because you're around them all the time. That's I mean, mm-hmm. that's the Dallas Cowboys of the last 35 years is hey we overrate our own guys, um, and I think it was a combination of those two things. The GB versus shape and thing is really interesting. The, the I, I still don't think. I don't think there's an argument against the idea that shape that a shape and lead offense has a higher ceiling. I do think that with the skill position players, with the reality of the skill position players that they had last year, having GB be able to generate all those extra gaps in the run game, yeah, would have made things a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And it would not. It wouldn't. Th- they were not going to get back to the Sugar Bowl with GB, but I do think that there are, you know, I can I can point to at least two games that I think they would have won in TCU and BYU, yep. where I look at those games and TCU, think like a thousand
0: percent, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, if they had had if they had had GB and they had, had GB's ability to execute a run game when the pass when the throw game is as Aranda calls it when the throw game collapsed. I just, it doesn't seem to be much in doubt that they would have won those two games. I just, I think. So does that, what does that mean for 2023? Um, I think a lot of that has to, uh, you know, I think a lot of that really comes down to the quarterback competition in the spring. I, my, it's hard for me to guess what 2023 is really going to look like until we know for sure who the QB
0: is going to be. And I don't think that we do. I don't think we're going to know that until game two or three, Jeff.
1: (laughs) Well, we say that like I, the the thing. I don't think fans fans should not underrate what what Aranda did last year because, in terms of telling GB that he was not going to be the guy, mm-hmm. that's it, as as much as that hurt Baylor's depth. Um, I mean, I can be I can be very very transparent with this. Like, I don't think that they land. I don't think they land Robertson if they hadn't done, done that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just because it's a very to land a quarterback of that caliber, you have to be able to look a kid and you have to be able to look their parents in the eye and say, "If you come here, you've got a real chance to compete." And that's a billion times easier when you can look the people yeah. in the eye and say, "Well, nine months ago, I told our sugar, our Big Twelve winning, Sugar Bowl winning caliber quarterback that he was not going to be the starter because this yeah. other guy's going to start." And it just that that's that silences any any doubts around that because it happened. And so I don't know that they would have had Robertson without that call. Maybe they would have been able to get him. I know that he and Aranda apparently have really good vibes, for lack of a better turn of phrase. But the ability to look kids and look parents, thing and say, "Hey, this is real. Like we we really are going to put your kid in the best position. If he doesn't work out, we're going to let him. We're going to let you know." So I think that there's a real. Ch- I, I say all that because I actually think there's a real chance that there's a genuine quarterback competition, and we're going to get a name starter before the end of the spring. And if it's close, I don't think there's going to be... If it's close, I think it's going to be shaping. But... I don't see how you...
0: Well, here's the thing. I could see... Okay. I think if they name a starter after the spring, it has to be Robertson. Because I don't... You don't... you know, we go into this, um, sorry, for yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, you probably presumably know Baylor added a quarterback named Sawyer Robertson, who is from uh, he's from Lubbock, right? Right, Jeff? He's from Lubbock. Um, he, yeah. is, he is. My, I mean, I, y'all have heard me talk about Paris, Texas a bunch, but yeah. I
1: moved out to Lubbock uh, my junior year of high school, and I went to the same class as uh, Sawyer Robertson, so or the same school, Coronado. So I am, uh, like, I am... Yep. I couldn't be more all in on Sawyer Robertson to the point that I'm a little worried for shaping that I'm not going to be able to
0: <laughs> But, yeah. So, he's, yeah, he he's spent a couple of years at Mississippi State. Uh, he grew up a tech fan watching Mike Leach. Mike Leach, obviously, rest in peace. We love you. Miss you. Um, brief aside here, it really is kind of crazy that I don't really get affected by, like, celebrity deaths really very often. But it is uh, – a. It was pretty remarkable seeing the outpouring for him. He's just such a unique guy. Um, it, and it really feels like a loss for the sport. Uh, people say that a lot about when people pass. Uh, and I'm sure you know everyone means something to everyone else. But it, I feel like it, it genuinely everyone felt he was such a part of the college football, what it meant for college football to be a thing, the, the community. So anyway, sorry on that real quick. Um, but, yeah, so Sawyer comes back after that. Uh, he's a year three player. Uh, he pushed Will Rogers, who is Mississippi State's very good upperclassman quarterback. Um, you know, all reports were that they were battling throughout spring and fall camp. And so for a young guy to go in and do that uh, anyway, all that to say, great quarterback prospect. Um, but what I was getting out there, Jeff, is I would be really I think I don't really see how you name shape in the starter after the spring, mostly because it's already expected that Sawyer is going to need a full spring, at least, I think, just to learn how to operate an under center offense. And so, I don't feel like I don't think the coaching staff would really expect to know what he looks like as a quarterback until fall camp. And so, I don't really see why you would say, Hey, you've only had a couple of weeks, you know, you've only had spring ball. We're going to go ahead and name shape in the starter for the fall, uh, if, th- if that makes any sense.
1: I, I, I can
0: see that. I You know, that's
1: we'll just have to see. You know, I mean, Miranda is very honest about this stuff. So, once we get close to spring ball, you'll hear them. I mean, someone's going to ask them about. Yeah, are you going to name a starter, and you're going to hear you'll either hear well, Shapen is our starter, which tells you that you're what, what you said, or you're going to hear oh, uh, you know every every competition is open, and we're going to see where we're at, and, and then it's going to be a little bit of a different story. I, I'm with you in that it probably is going to take him a little bit longer to learn some of the, some of the stuff. His mechanics, however, I mean, unless Shapen exhibits some dramatic growth from November, mm-hmm. to be honest, um, it's hard it's hard for me to imagine that Robertson doesn't have a significantly better um, mechanical base to work from in the pocket. Mm-hmm. And that's that's going to be a real big, that's going to be a real big deal for them kind of right off the bat, which is shaping, you know, what teams were able to do a lot of last year was they learned what he was good and what he wasn't at. And so he's not going to get that first, Month to half the season free pass that he did this right. past
0: season, where people aren't real sure. Can you what briefly his game explain is. that, Jeff, real quick? What did what did teams yep. learn about Blake, and what did they start taking away?
1: So the 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 biggest thing that teams really started taking away was they really started hammering on the rollbacks, and so the four four shaping. You know, he's so good on the move. I and mean, we've talked about him being a baseball player 600 times. Y'all are, y'all are sick of me hearing me say that. But it's, it's just impossible to talk about him without that always being the first thing. He's a baseball player. He throws really well on the run. He is able to rotate his hips very, very well when he's on the run. It's a much more natural movement. He's more accurate when he's on the move than when he mm-hmm. is in the pocket. Um, the second thing is, is his height is not an issue when he's on the move. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it's, it's important for fans or say not important. It can be difficult for fans to understand that when you drop back in your five ten, it's tough sometimes to see over five guys that are six, three to six, seven in front of you. Plus the defensive lineman, like the throw lanes are not as obvious when you are in that scenario, unless you're taking these like nine step drops almost sometimes. Um, Where you just can't, you can't get a quick throw game out unless you're already in shotgun, like the ability to have a quick throw game when you're short and you're under center is actually really tough. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that has really helped him out is getting him on the move clears all that traffic out. He can see the, I mean, you can see this pretty clearly. He can see the field better when he's on the move. Mm -hmm. And so teams, teams got that. And so what they, what teams started doing was they took away two, they went after two components, which was the first one was, we're going to just aggressively pursue the, um, the rollout. Like we're going to basically take that away from you. And we're going to force you to execute on the front side of your outside zone, which with all the running back injuries that they had this year and some of the tight end injuries, they just weren't able to execute to the level that they had in 2021. I do think most of that is to do more with running back play than necessarily um, offensive line play, but it was still there. Um, You know, they again, like they only had Reese, who is a freshman for long stretches of the year. Um, But but the second part that they did was he's got. Shapin is very comfortable on those quick strike one read passes in the middle of the field. He's comfortable trying to fit the ball in between in tight spaces in that five to seven yard window range. And so like quick slants, um, not really a dig, but just in breaking routes from your slot or your f um, your F tight ends. On the inside, in breaking route, short, plant the foot, get it out. And so, if you can take away those two throws, you can, you know, if you figure out ways to bring, bring a guy down and leave guys uh, on those in breaking routes, uh, your linebackers on those in breaking routes while they're able to kind of play up to the run. If you can do that and hammer the roll, roll out there wasn't a lot left for them to be able to execute. They, you know, he doesn't really have the arm strength to do those huge play action dropbacks. I mean, he can hit them if they're wide open, but you're really almost counting on a wide receiver running away from a cornerback. So it's pretty easy to know uh, during the week before, whether or not that's a matchup you can think you can, you think you can win. And if they thought they could win it, they would call it a couple of times a game If they didn't think they could win it. We didn't really see that huge drop back in, you know, let it rip bomb bombs away down the field game with him a lot. Um, And so teams figured that out. And as they started to figure that out more and more as the season went along, the throw game really kind of collapsed. Part of that was uh, injuries to, I think, skill position guys, you know, Baldwin was not right. Second half of the season. Um, I mean, there were just a bunch of guys that really struggled from a health perspective in the second half, but with all that being said, like they were able to opposing defenses were able to take that away. And if you look at particularly the first half of their season, they've got Utah and Texas in September. Both those teams are very well coached defensively. Both oh, yeah. those teams will lean on those two things. And does he's not he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt of what is this guy's game? Both those teams are going to know what he's good at, mm-hmm. and both those teams are going to scheme to take that away from him.
0: Yeah, yeah, and. I- I think, as a kind of a last part on this um talking about Shapin talking about the offense um before we move on here, just can you kind of give your take, Jeff on there's been a lot of discussion on on six and three six five and just Twitter in general since the season ended of like of of two camps kind of forming of like it was all the wide receiver's fault or it's all Blake Shapin, and we can't win with this guy um obviously, like most things, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, in the sense of, I think, you know, Blake has clear deficiencies and could have played better. But obviously the wide receivers didn't play well from him. And then as you were just describing, defenses started learning his positives and negatives. And once that happened, it, it really became tough sledding. Um, kind of, you know, where do you kind of split the baby there on uh, on those kind of two camps?
1: And so there's a there's a there's a classification system that i know a lot of football guys use and i think it's i actually think it's perfect for this and y'all some of y'all probably heard this before but i'll go and repeat it again there's really kind of four main ways that a lot of football guys will classify players which is you can win because of them you can win with him you can win in spite of him and you cannot win with him so mm-hmm. uh, you cannot win with him is a they put jeff davis at field corner You can't, it does not, you can have.
0: You're not Riley Moss. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you can have NFL. Yeah, like putting me at field corner, you could have NFL guys at every other position and playing a competent college offense. They would still probably be able to score most plays because you're going to immediately, like, I'm going to immediately lose every rep right off the bat. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so there are, you can't win with those guys are really really mediocre players and i don't think that baylor has that many of those guys in a starting 2 deep. at least not this year i think they definitely i think they had a few of those guys last year um just to be honest i I don't i don't want to name those names but i do think they had a few of those guys last year um so blake is not a I think, I think what fans need to get a real firm grasp on is that Blake is either a you-can-win-with-him or you-can-win-because-of-him guy. And any analysis that doesn't start right, right there is just to be blunt, like, this is not to you. This is just to the fan that would protest against this. You need to go watch more college football.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, if you I think a real good example of knowing what, quarterback play can really look like and how effective it can be. And just the vagaries of all of that is look at like, look at San Francisco and look at what Brock Purdy, who at no point in his four years, what I have ever labeled a top two quarterback in the big 12. I mean, he went to an NFC title game because he's in a remarkable scenario, you know, against Dallas, they asked him to make, They asked Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, to make one tough throw in the first half of that game. And he almost threw a pick. And it still didn't matter because they were able to grind out a win. And so Brock Purdy is the definition right now of a guy you can win with. You don't win because of him really yet, but you can win with him. And he was still a seventh-round QB and a QB that I think a lot of Baylor fans would look at and go, I mean – Baylor fans would have argued that Charlie Brewer was better than him three years ago. I mean, most fans I think would have done that. I, I would have rather have had Purdy, but I, particularly before um, CB got injured, like in 2018, I don't think that was like an impossible.
0: Yeah, you
1: know that was like a wild discussion point to, to argue that. Um, and so if you if you go back and you look at what a lot of quarterback plays like, go look at what Texas A and M puts up with. Yep. Like how bad their QB play is. Or even look, you know, at, even you, look
0: at what Quinn Ewers is doing this past year. Obviously, that's kind of a lightning rod of discussion. And I think he's probably going to improve in this next coming year. But the dude was terrible against Baylor. Uh, and they didn't beat Baylor because of Quinn Ewers. And yeah, uh, to kind of frame this a little bit, Jeff, I, I do think this is a very important what you're saying because, you know um, – I've certainly been been critical of Shapin this past season, uh, but I always, always, always tried to couch any criticism in, this is very clearly at least like an average college football quarterback. This guy is somebody that you can definitely, like he's not terrible. He's not bad even. Um, not, but it, it's not. just a matter of is he good enough to really carry you to Big 12 championship quality and perhaps beyond. I know fans will point at him winning you know the title game um as you know proof that he could get there and i think it's proof that he can play really well in big moments but i I, I, you know see back to our discussion that jeff went through about five minutes ago where he talked about there's a big difference when once fan uh, once teams learn your strengths and weaknesses that's kind of the next level so again yeah i think it's really important what you're saying jeff he's really clearly a guy you can win with i think the question is is it him or Sawyer for becoming the guy that is like you win because of him? Um, and I think both of those guys have an opportunity to do that this upcoming season. But again, it's, it's, that's why it was so important for Baylor to add a high level quarterback. Um, not because Shapin, I don't, uh, not because he has no possibility of becoming that, but, um, you know, if you're going to play at the highest levels of college football, you really, you know, San Francisco is winning with Brock Purdy, but you know, you're know, you always in a better situation if your quarterback is kind of a transcendent level win because of him type player. So I think that's kind of the question, what that becomes with him is can shape and improve um, enough this off season to become that level of player, or is that going to be Sawyer? So.
1: And I think on that, the thing that I really look for and I'm going to be, most focused on is his footwork in the pocket
0: yes and
1: i just he has to he has he this is not like coaches are telling him this if he goes to a throw coach in the spring which i know a lot of these qb's do that he's got the qb coach is gonna tell him the same thing is his footwork's just not good enough and it leads to and unless one of the reasons he's good on those immediate quick throws on those end breaking routes is he turns his brain off and he just—it's—it's it's like a one to two step drop out of the shotgun. That back foot hits, and it's just an automatic muscle memory throw. And he can put it on a dime when he does that. When he has to read the field and he's staying in the pocket, his mechanics really, really break down. And he relies on his baseball ability to be able to get a throw off from different angles. And those throws have just not been accurate enough. And there's just no other way to say yeah. it. I think about the, so,
0: the interception versus TCU uh, in the end yeah. zone at the end of the half um, where he – the ball is pushing – You know, he's trying to push the ball to the back pylon. Um, yeah. but he literally doesn't push the ball because he's throwing kind of just it's a it's a lazy throw footwork wise. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that, Jeff, because Sean Bell, the quarterback coach, has received. You know, I think it's fair for fans to say this. You know, I disagree with it, um, but I think it's very fair to say like, why is our quarterback throwing with such bad footwork? Is that not the quarterback coach's job to per- make a quarterback of good footwork? And my retort generally has been to that is like. You know, there's a lot of aspects that go into QB play and generally, generally like you can fix some some very kind of football 101 things with guys. But footwork tends to be a thing that guys either have or they don't. And um, so I also want to ask you how that factors into Shapen's ability to potentially improve that footwork. Uh, What is the margins look for? I mean, he's never going to become Tom Brady when it comes to footwork. I I imagine that's kind of out of the window. Um, But can guys go from. Go ahead, Jeff. But this
1: is kind of this is kind of the problem with with baseball players. Like you get a lot of pluses with it, but if you look at NFL guys like Kyler Murray or you look at Mahomes, they don't really have great footwork in the pocket. I mean they don't. I mean they don't. And so even like Mahomes, Mahomes is a space alien. I mean, he's just, he's, he's not really a real quarterback. I think it, it's almost, yeah. When, when fans think about Mahomes, I, I, he should almost be in a separate classification system. Like we should just call him Mahomes and then we should talk about other baseball players because he's just yeah. so good that it's, it's hard to bring him down to everyone else. But baseball players struggle with this because they learn. you know, we go by talking about the way that you rotate on your hips earlier they learned that from a young age, and they've thrown that from the young age, and it's just – it's that's always going to be the natural thing because when they're on the move, that's how they're going to throw. It. And so particularly in an offense where they're trying to get him on the move a lot and they're not making him execute, I mean, they're trying to give him as few full-field reads or half-field reads as they possibly can. I mean, it's a lot of rollouts, a lot of hit the back foot, balls out based off the coverage um they that's what they want to do so they can turn his brain off so he doesn't get it's not like the NFL where he's going to get a lot of opportunities I mean he's going to get I don't know 12 to 15 chances a game to do that yeah. and so it's when, when when it's that level of practice I don't really know that you're going to be able to increase that significantly I mean they're clearly like they're clearly working with him on it. I mean, they, they are. It's the idea that they're not doing footwork drills with him is just nuts. But I I also don't know that you can really change that out of a quarterback without a lot of time yeah. and a system that would require him to have better footwork. You know, if he was in a pure air raid And he was doing these like half field reads where um, he's reading basically one, two, three, and then like hit or one, two, and then hitting a backside most likely at the college level where it's one, two on your front side, rotate to your back, and the ball is out. And if it's not, you're you're burning it. Um, If he was doing stuff like that where it was a specific cadence, I think you would see a little bit better footwork. But the offense requires a lot of movement from him. It requires him to get outside fast on, on the wide zone handoffs. It requires him to roll. I mean, he has to execute almost like Peyton Manning in the two thousands, like Peyton Manning, like he completed that rollout on that play action when he didn't run it every single time. And so, and Chapin does that too. I mean, like when he hits the wide zone, he's peeling back to, to, um, to keep the backside defensive end from crashing every single time so because of the movement skills required from him it's very difficult for me to see him making a big leap i think you could see improvement there certainly but i i don't think you're going to see a real big jump in that that's just not the type of thing that changes quickly for a quarterback it takes time to get comfortable and to get comfortable and to get comfortable and i yeah it's just that like i just don't see a big change there there could be but You know, we fans should also think back to it this way for every, you know, after the 2018 season, we, we heard Charlie Brewer got healthy and he went to a quarterback coach and he was throwing better than ever. The ball was coming out with a lot of zip. We got that like for three straight seasons in the off season. And every single year after about a month, when he took some hits, the velocity dropped off every single time and he went back to his old habits. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's probably closer to what fans should realistically expect. Um, out of this, but there is, you know, there's always the opportunity for, for a lot of improvement and growth, but we'll yeah. have to see.
0: Yeah. I'm just curious, Jeff. So, um, resisting the urge to talk about a lot of other stuff here at, per the usual. Um, but I'm curious, you know, have you watched, you know, since Sawyer has signed with Baylor, have you watched any of his tape? Um, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a long eval of him for a six, five. So go ahead and read that. Um, I already have my thoughts out there. I'm just, I'm curious to get your thoughts on him.
1: The, well, the main reason I've heard of him is just because I I followed his game because of where he came from, and that's really where I had known him from originally um, was being a cornado. Um, the thing, the two things that stand out with me, I think he's got he's a more he has a more natural um, he doesn't have the off platform stuff that Shapen does. But I do believe that he is a – I'm guessing because of his background running the air raid, he's much more comfortable in the pocket once he gets the decision and he triggers with his feet and it kind of rotates, starting with the feet, coming up to the hips, and the way he rotates out, that's much more natural. He's also got a legitimate four to five inches on him, and that shows up in the way that he looks through the field. He has a calmness to him when he goes through his progressions that I think honestly probably comes down to feeling like he can see the whole field. That's mm-hmm. just my gut that's just my gut feeling. I don't know that for sure. That's that's just how I view that. Um and he certainly has more arm talent out of the natural, natural throwing position. I, I don't know what I am curious about with him is that shapen shapen almost over processes in a way. Like he's so you can see him like wanting Sometimes that he vacillates between being impulsive in his throws and overthinking a read. And I don't that, – that part of his game will definitely get better in 2023. But I don't – I haven't seen – I haven't seen that assuredness of – or that confidence sometimes in pulling the trigger from – Robertson, but I also haven't seen a lot of his college tape either. And it's the game is so much faster at the college level than high school. That, that might be something that we look up and when we finally see him play, it's like, Oh yeah, he, he absolutely had that. We just, he just needed a little bit more experience. So, um, and that's, that's my first impressions on him. I, I haven't done nearly the in-depth, uh, dive that you have. What, what are you, what's your high level thoughts on him for? Well, I want to, I want to
0: have you clarify what you just said. Are you saying you, you feel like he's been a bit hesitant with the ball, uh, Robertson. Uh, I just want to make sure I wasn't sure if you were talking about Robertson or Sorry.
1: There. It, it, he seems, it seems like he can be a little late coming off of, um, going through his progression sometimes. Like mm-hmm. he's not always, there's also a confidence in knowing when it's time to move off a read mm-hmm. and, there, there's always a balancing act between trusting your 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 guy to win on a route versus knowing like knowing that the coverage is forcing you off this route immediately. And I don't know, sometimes that can just be a lack of comfort in the much more complex defenses that you see in college compared to high school. But I have seen that in his game where he seems unsure of, and I don't know if that's a lack of mental processing or if that's a don't know the game quite as well yet. I I, I don't know. And, you know, it's probably more he just needs experience. Yeah. But Chapin, there are times when shaping. Shapen has the confidence that sometimes he will pull it, and we've all seen this. Well, he'll pull the the trigger, and we're thinking, we don't, uh, I don't know about that. But he's also made some great throws because he knew the defense, and even though, like he saw a tiniest sliver of an opening, and he pulled the trigger, and he got the completion off of that, and we can't discount that. Like that's that's part of what makes his game good. And so are one of the one of the parts of this game that is good. I mean, you take the turnovers with that, but there are a lot of there are a lot of positives to that too. I haven't seen that aspect of Robertson's game, but I also, again, like I it's it college high school processing versus college processing is yeah night and different. And so it just I haven't seen enough it of its college tape to really know.
0: Yeah, and I looked out for the college tape and I was really disappointed. It looked like weather canceled um Mississippi State spring game this past year. Um, which is when he would have played a lot. And then, you know, he has a couple of throws and some garbage time games this past year, but, but nothing much to show there. Um, and unfortunately, Jeff, it looks like Levick Coronado is not a big enough school to have uh, full games up on YouTube. Um, I searched my damnedest for a while. I found a couple, but it's kind of like one of those deals where the it's like the local news camera angle where it's like you're looking at the offensive lineman's ankles. It's not very helpful for evaluating quarterback play. Um, so everything I had to go off of was, was, highlights. Um, they're pretty extensive. And, and as I wrote about in the article, the, the crazy thing with Robertson, and, and I am surprised to hear you say, you feel like he's been a bit hesitant because the one thing that shut, that really jumped out to me on his highlights was he, he has probably 20 throws on his senior highlights where he is like fully pulling the trigger on throws, um, like well, well before the wide receiver is open. And that is something that college quarterbacks, if they can do that once per game you're like that's a big win. <laughs> and so to yeah. see a high school quarterback doing that a lot is big. You know the the flip side of that is that there were several of those throws where he he was confident in the coverage, pulled the trigger and um, went for it where you're like okay, if a college safety was playing there instead of, you know, the Lubbock safety, then you know he probably would have picked that off, but that's how that's kind of the push and pull of I think you al- would always rather have a prospect who is used to trusting their their instincts and then you have to pull them back as opposed to trying to teach a guy to trust his instincts in the first place. So I was happy to see I, that.
1: The reason, and I, it's a great point. The reason that I'll go ahead and, and caveat that is I, I do know a little bit of the Coronado offense. I know that one of the things that that staff out there has, it does with them offensively is if they think they have a guy that can, a skill position player that can win on a ball, they call a lot of one-shot reads. Yeah. And so I I think that that one of the reasons why I say that is I look at the highlights. Like, I don't know, I don't don't know this. I don't know this. Okay. But knowing a little bit about that offense and that coaching staff out there, um, it would not surprise me at all. If a good chunk of those plays were quite literally like, you know, you might just, the the play call might literally be the offensive, the offensive play call play call. You might just say 88 and you know that your receiver is running a 10 yard stick route and, the ball I'm cutting the ball loose and I'm trusting my guy to win because I think the quarterback can do it. I know he's got single coverage and I think this guy can win and we're just going to call that play. And so I a lot of I I don't again I don't know this, but my assumption when I saw a lot of his highlight tape and seeing that was that those were the calls that he was getting, which was a yeah. you got it's not a read. It's a one play call. We think this guy's going to win on this route. We're going to simplify everything for everyone, take the stress out of it. Let's just go see what happens. And yeah. so, yeah. sometimes in high school, you'll see those throws come out, and they seem that they're coming out with a lot of anticipation. But that throw is coming out regardless. You know what I mean? And yes. so it's it's when I when I when I think about what Shapen does well is Shapen oftentimes, and this is not we're not talking about the interior end breaking routes, but when Shapen Shapen can see, and I think this comes back to his impulsiveness with with, with the throws. But there are times when you can see that he, like the defense will click for him and he'll see the window, and he'll just go for it. And it's not even on the first read. It's a, like, typically it's off of the second read it, uh, that, that I see this on, but he'll just go for it, and he'll he'll let it rip. And if he can get the ball to the spot, it's usually an incredibly good throw. The question is always, can he execute on that throw, mm-hmm. which has been more of the issue to me than necessary, the reads. I know that there's been a lot of talk on the Twitter sphere about his inability to sometimes see guys that are breaking open, um, I, I I want I really want to put a damper on that in this regard. Particularly with college QBs, it is completely unrealistic to expect a QB to see the entirety of the field at all times. Mm-hmm. That just that is not that is not how it works. Yep. You are going to go through a progression of reads, probably three, I think, in Baylor's case. When they call a true drawback, it's usually one-two in, in either a backside or a dump-off or a burn, okay? Yeah. And if you are not hitting those in progression, in time, and getting rid of the ball, the coach is all over you. The coach is not looking for you to go out there and like, oh, I wonder if this guy that's not really in the play call is going to be open at this exact time. Like, it's bing, bang, boom, mm-hmm. go. Yeah. And the plays where you see shape and holding onto the ball, those are probably more of the plays where I think he's doing what the coaches don't want him to do because when the when when everyone's covered up, and this has happened to him a lot, if everyone's covered up and he can't get out, he's gotta just eat it on he's gotta eat it down the sidelines and just either throw it up to one of the guys that's going going deep or burn it out of bounds. Like he can't Yeah. If you wait for someone to break open because something if ain't can't gonna move, appear out of nothing. It's not gonna appear out of nothing if you can't get on the move. Yeah, and so those are the plays when he's just sitting in the pocket past the three to four second mark, where you're looking at it going like. You gotta get rid of this ball. I don't care if you're throwing it 15 yards out of bounds. Like you gotta get rid of this ball and get on to the next play. There's nothing else here. That's the stuff where I look at him and go, "That's where I really want to see him do better on." The stuff where he's missing guys that are open within two seconds and he's not even looking at that side of the field. Like that's just not. That's not a realistic. That's one of those things where NFL QBs see that, and I and you just kind of go like, "Yeah, they're they're." they're NFL QBs. Yeah. Like they're just NFL QBs guys. And so that's, that's the stuff I would really put a damper on in terms of if you see that and you get frustrated with him, take that out on the coaching staff. Cause the coaching staff's going to get annoyed. If he's not looking at it, if he's not going through his progressions and making the decision based off of that progression only, they're going to be all over him.
0: All right. We've got about half an hour here left here. Uh, we've got kind of wrapped up on QB play. Um, but final, final tidbit on there real quick, Jeff, all right, game eight of the season. If you had to, if you had to place a bet one way or the other, are you? Are, do you think it's going to be Blake or Sawyer as a Baylor starting quarterback this year? And the reason I say mid-season through is because I, I do think there's a significant possibility that by the time we get to Utah, they're either still splitting snaps or they, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm trying to say, you know, beginning end of the season, that kind of deal. I'm going to say Robertson. Yeah, I, I I lean that way too. Um.
1: I, the the advantages that GB gave you were in the run game. You don't, you're not giving that away with Robertson. Like you're gonna, you don't get quite as much. I don't think you have quite the movement skills that that Shapen does. You don't have the improvisational improvisational skills, but he's a bigger body he's a big and that,
0: kid. He's, he's six, big three kid. and a half, six, four. Like he, he, yeah. he can, he can really lean into somebody for a three yard gain. That's, that's a big and deal. That's, that's going to matter.
1: And their, their, their ability to call some interior run plays in the red zone. They didn't have that last year and it really hurt them. Really. And I just, it's so easy for me to see that even if he's not the start- starting quarterback, they're going to have a they're going to have a third and fourth and short, and they're going to have a red zone package from him. Like they already have it. Like mm-hmm. it's not like they don't have it. Like I guarantee you that Grimes and Mateos were like, "We got a big body. We couldn't run some of this QB lead stuff that we wanted to run lat- that uh, this year. We got it this year. What are our five plays that we want to make sure we can run with this kid? Like, yeah." that that stuff's in the playbook already. And yeah. so you're going to see him just off of that and if his if if Shapen struggles mechanically in the pocket like he did last year, then I think you'll see them move on to him sooner rather than later because there's Shapen's going Shapen is a guy that's going to really need very very high level wide receiver play to unlock his true potential and if they get that then they won't need him but if they don't get that there's going to be some advantages with robertson's arm strength and his ability to run between the tackles or at least threaten to run between the tackles. you don't have to do it every time but if you can do it once a half and then in the red zone it completely changes the way that the defensive coordinator has to call standard down calls and that's that's going to really matter and so I, i I, I, my gut tells me Robertson, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, I think either way, I feel pretty good about Baylor having good quarterback play. That's really, I think, the the value add with him is if Shapin is good enough, if he's improved enough to beat out Sawyer, I think that that pretends very well for Baylor. OK, yeah, on to the next topic. Um, you know, we love to talk about coaching on the TD pod. Uh, Jeff, I know it's a big time interest of yours. So I wanted to make sure that we, um, you know, slotted enough time to talk about you know, we – sorry, to talk about uh, Baylor, you know, Aranda firing Ron Roberts, uh, getting rid of Ronnie Wheat, the safety coach, and bringing in Matt Pallage, who, of course, was Baylor's safeties coach and special teams coach back in 2021. Uh, coach Jalen Petrie, Coach JT Woods got a ton out of a former walk-on and Jaron McVeigh. Um, you know, he's back as the defensive coordinator. Um what are your thoughts on that move? Um, for anybody listening, I did an interview with uh, Coach Cody Alexander, who's a former Baylor graduate assistant and has been in the Texas high school football ranks for a while now. Um, he knows Palage somewhat and was able to get some really insightful stuff there. Um, but he, Jeff, he's a young guy. He's 34, 35, something like that, has never been a defensive coordinator before. He was the co-DC at, at Oregon. But, of course, there he was the co-defensive coordinator and he was working under Dan Lanning, who was the defensive coordinator previously at Georgia. So he kind of, you know, he was definitely not the sole guy there. So now he's really the sole guy for the first time. What is your impression of, A, uh, there's a lot of parts to this question, excuse me, kind of tackle this however you see fit, Jeff, but what is your impression of, A, in Aranda firing Roberts, which that could be a really long discussion. We'll kind of table that, um, but just kind of distill it there. And then, B, what, you know, what bringing in palage means for this upcoming season.
1: Yeah. So I'll start with the Roberts thing real quick. I, I would encourage fans to think of it this way, which is, it's very difficult transitioning from a coordinator role to a head coaching role is very difficult. And it's a, I, I would liken it to you're going if for the business nerds on the on the on the that are listening to this i would liken it to transitioning from managing people to managing managers and that's really the big transition that you make when you go up to the head coaching role is you now have to you're managing people but really you're managing managers and that's a totally different ball game and so i think two things came out of the robert situation the first one is um I, I like Roberts. I, I have a lot of respect for his uh, football knowledge. Um, he was not a very good recruiter. And that's just that's just a simple, that's a very simple, straightforward statement. Baylor is not in a position that that specific issue for him will not be as big a struggle at a place like Auburn as it is right. at Baylor. Um, Baylor can't so, afford
0: to have many of their assistants not be great recruiters. There's always going to be a few, but you can't afford have many be- of them
1: can't you can't have that many and there's a reason why they went and got the guy they did at the linebackers coach he is a recruiting absolute stud but but he roberts was just not was, was not a good um recruiter that's just a factual statement the second one was i think that it is difficult for a head coach to contradict a longtime mentor and i think you know we talked at length a lot this this past fall about how confused we were defensively like it just it didn't it didn't look like an Aranda defense Mm -hmm. at any point it really did not look like an Aranda defense we couldn't figure it out and my my gut feeling is that there were some differences of opinion in how it should be run defensively uh from what Roberts thought versus what Aranda thought I think that came down to both uh some playing time issues for a few kids. And then specifically the kind of calls and the stress they were putting some of those kids under. And I, that all kind of culminated in what I think can only best be described as a big enough breach between the head coach and the DC that warranted both sides moving on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the best way to describe it. Um, It doesn't matter how good you are as a coordinator, you have to be able to perform that role within the larger context of a team. That means both personality wise, but also that means sometimes like you need to prioritize things that you might not think are as important in practice time to help out the offense, or you might need to prioritize certain things because. Uh, in a defensive game plan because the offense is going to try to get up big early. So we need to put a lot of, you know, we need to put a lot of pressure, uh, pressure packages in because we think this game plan is we're going to get up early in the first like 15 to 20 minutes. The script's going to run out and we're going to hold on for dear life. That's what they did against Oklahoma state in the big 12 title game. Um, And so there hasn't always been the marriage between what the defense has schematically gone after and tried to, execute versus what the overall um, game plan has clearly been for the team. And I think between those two things that there was enough of a difference there that it was time to move on. Um, I I say this as someone that grew up with uh, a family business. It's really hard to work for a family business when your uncle and your granddad are um, your owners and your boss. You know, you got to you know, that was a difficult situation for me. And I was in middle school doing that. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to have those that tight knit of a mentorship relationship where all of a sudden you're in the building every day with those guys and your relationship fundamentally changes. And I think that's I think that's really what happened with Roberts. Um, so to spin forward on that to college, Um, Pallage is going to be a little bit different. He's very much, I think he's closer to a natural Aranda style than Roberts was. Roberts Roberts was fundamentally an aggressive, pressure-oriented guy that got there with multiple fronts. Aranda is a little bit different. Aranda is more concerned with what he refers to as geometry in the space and Aranda has always the first consideration aranda always has when making a defensive play call is what am i comfortable giving up that's the first thing that he almost always and it's usually a space consideration but like what who am i comfortable putting on an island who am i comfortable potentially leaving open who am i comfortable putting who's the defensive guy i'm comfortable putting into the conflict that's not always um And I think that's what Pallage's first instinct is as well, based off the interviews I've read with him. When you say
0: comfortable, uh, Jeff, do you mean like in a sense of, I feel comfortable leaving this corner solo up against this receiver, A, because I feel good about this corner, and I don't think this receiver is good enough to dominate that matchup? Is that kind of what you're referring to there?
1: Yeah. You know, a big key would be, let's say you're playing a team that runs a lot of outside zone, okay? And you have – and you've got Doyle, who I adore. I love Doyle. There's not A against Doyle. Doyle is not the fastest guy on the team. So are you comfortable putting him, are you comfortable putting him in a lot of situations where he's gonna have to run from the A gap out to get to where the spot he needs to be in in a wide zone? Or are you gonna call the defense more where he's perhaps in the B or C gap? where he's got that extra two to three yards to help him get to where he needs to be. That type of stuff really affects um, really affects how you call a defense. And Aranda has always been very conscious of not putting guys in positions to execute things that he doesn't think they can execute. That hasn't been the Roberts style. The Roberts style has been... Um, we're going to be extremely multiple in our fronts and we're going to try to put a lot of pressure on you with our different packages and the way we're going to attack you. But that also means that a lot of, you know, because we're going to do so much formationally, we end up putting our guys in more difficult positions at the start of the snap than Roberts or college would probably do. You know, if you've got a guy that runs a four or five um, at middle linebacker, it's not a problem. If you've got Bobby, if you've got Wagner at, um not Bobby Wagner, but if you've got Wagner at um linebacker or Bobby Wagner, like yeah, you can have that guy run a Tampa two against the wide receiver. Perfect. If you have um Miller, God bless him, maybe that's not a situation where you call a lot of Tampa two coverages because unless it's against a tight end, because you don't think that he's going to be able to run up the field against a TCU DB. You know, that was a situation we saw a lot of last year, which was, and this is honestly something that rule did a lot of and snow did a lot of, which was the, the play call was the play call, regardless of who was in that position. And, uh, that puts particularly with some of the slower linebackers that put them in a lot of conflict that put them in a lot of stress last year in a way that particularly on zone dropbacks or, um, you know, think about Matt Jones, Matt Jones really struggled at the start of the season, trying to learn how to be an off the ball linebacker. I think he's going to be a great one, but it's not an easy transition to make. And they didn't always put those guys in the best. Or Roberts didn't always put those guys in the best possible positions because he was trying to be so aggressive and, in what he could do formationally to attack a run game or to attack an offense mm-hmm. and so pallage is going Palage and aranda together are going to be a lot more conscious of what their guys can do and they're gonna they're gonna base their calls off of that first and not what is the platonic ideal of how i think i can attack this offense first does that make sense
0: yeah i'm really hesitant to bring this up just because it's a very specific point and we don't have that much time left but i'm gonna do it anyway um You know, something that just came to mind when you were talking about putting Matt Jones under a lot of stress, um, Dylan Doyle was ready to do basically anything you asked that kid to do last year. Uh, He understood defense. He understood his position. He understood everyone, the whole entire defense, and he understood what the offense was trying to do to him. He was a guy where you could put everything on his plate and he could handle everything. And I wonder if this is a great example of, of the balancing act of coaching. Because when you want to be able to use a guy like Doyle in every which way possible, well, inside linebackers very naturally work as a tandem. Um, and so Matt Jones was the guy next to him. And I wonder if that's a great example where, uh, you know, we talk about how the weakest link breaks the chain and stuff like that, where you have to understand as a coach that even if you want to maximize one guy, In your maximization, which in this example would be having Doyle be able to be used in this kind of variety of different ways and put a lot on his plate, that naturally is going to put a lot of pressure on somebody like Matt Jones to kind of be there hand in hand with him doing that kind of stuff. And I think it was pretty clear that he just wasn't ready for that. Um, and so, I guess hopefully we can you, you can use that specific point, Jeff, to kind of talk about in the sense of defense is not necessarily about having one guy kind of go Super Saiyan um, and do everything for the defense. It's it's really about creating kind of a stability that that operates across the entire defense to not you know open any holes.
1: Yeah, I, it's not a, it's not a overly specific question. You know, you'll Aranda has talked about this in the past, which is we you know your best eleven for a week. And, you know, one of Aranda's favorite phrases. You've got it. You have a new every Sunday. You've got a new team, um, whether it's injuries or you know a guy plays really well, and all of a sudden you think about him in a different way. Maybe you're willing to put more on his play. Like that's that's a different team, and and so when you think about having a different team each week, they Aranda is really is really always going to be focused on what is the best 11 in two situations, our standard down game and our and our um, passing – standard down situations and passing down situations. Oh, my gosh. What? Passing
0: downs. What happened in 2022 We won't go there, Jeff, but my lord. I saw a stat that Baylor was like the second worst team in all of FBS on passing downs in 2022. So just, I'm looking forward to that being better in 2023. Sorry. Continue.
1: Um, But – how do you get your best 11 on the field in those two situations? And whatever the combination of guys is that puts you in the best position, like that's who you're going to go with. Um, they feel, I think that is one reason why we've seen a lot of, spe- they, they've recruited a bunch of specialists, both on the defensive line and at the linebacker level, guys that are not like, um, excuse me, not the linebacker, but the jack level guys that could be more specialists. And I think that's more because they, they want outside of the down three and your mic, your down three, and your mic—they're much more comfortable getting to um, having guys be able to do one or two things extremely well, and be able to use those pieces for specific game plans um, per team. And that seems like something that they are moving more towards. That if they can't get, you know, they can't recruit at Alabama or Texas's level. They can't go and just get a bunch of NFL guys in every area. And so the way around that, I think, has been to more proactively go after some of the specialists and then rely on those guys to be effective one out of every two to three games when you have a matchup that really calls for that. Um, But it is is a great point. It's something they're going to struggle with. Every coach struggles with that. It's not an individual. Every good coach struggles with how do I maximize an individual um, while getting the, and making that person feel maximized. That's a very important thing, particularly for a player. It's how you get player buy-in. Mm-hmm. Players need to feel maximized in in a big way, you know. Um oh, I can't think of his name now all of a sudden, but uh the, he was came from Texas A&M, I love him to death. He's a drafted number 2. Um played for Denver now he played for Von Miller I'm talking through his career Von Miller told uh Micah Parsons earlier this year that he said you're really lucky to be with Dan Quinn because Dan Quinn moves you around the way you need to and that doesn't always happen um Aranda and I think Palage in this extent, they're gonna move guys around to put them in the best possible situations to make them feel maximized. I think they definitely did that with uh the Heartbreak kid. They definitely did that with Petrie. Mm-hmm. They practically had a defense for Petrie, I think in some cases. I mean oh, yeah. they kid he was like amused to
0: them, I think, in a lot of ways. Um Yeah, and that so that was one of the things <laughs> that Cody – go ahead, Jeff. It's oh, like, okay, okay, yeah no good, i uh, I just want to briefly say, yeah, that was one of the things that Cody brought up, the coach Cody Alexander he was like, you know i he's like, I really don't think that that Aranda and even Robert Sicily really wanted to blitz the star that much, but when you have Jalen Petrie, you blitz the star yeah. that much because the dude was just an insane, so that's a great ex- example of how you can kind of mold your defense yeah. around someone. Uh, Jeff, if yeah. you have any further points on that, feel free to finish up. Uh, we got 10 minutes left here. So there are a couple other things I want to hit. Um, you, did you have anything yeah. else you yeah. want to say about that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so I just kind of briefly wanted to talk about, you know, Baylor's added a bunch of guys in the portal. And I actually had this moment like a month ago where I realized, wait a second. Is Baylor going to add a guy to the portal at literally every single position on both sides of the ball? We're getting pretty close there, honestly. Um, you know, if they've taken a tight end. They added two huge guys on the offensive lineman on the offensive line, who I think are going to be the the Barrington brothers, which is a fantastic name um, and I think they're going to slot in as you're starting left tackle and left guard uh, they well, brought in the...
1: married that's that's just that's great, yeah, yeah, they brought in the running back
0: from uh Dominic Richardson from Oklahoma State, who I think is a you know this is a whole other discussion of you which you kind of alluded to at the very beginning of this episode when. We talked about their need for the, the, the need they really had at running back, and I think Dominic Richardson, I, I don't think he's quite as good as Abram Smith. Um, they're a little bit slightly different players, but I think he does bring that quality of just being able to just hammer through the trash and create a three or four-yard game. Keytron Jackson's huge at a wide receiver. I know I'm just kind of going through the names here, but they added a cornerback and Isaiah Dunson. They added a, an inside linebacker and in Mike Smith, and I, I they added a a JUCO nose tackle um, as well, and so really all we're looking at is I guarantee you they're going to add a safety after after the spring. So all that to say they they're adding they're adding transfers at every single position across the team. Clearly they felt the need to kind of uh, upgrade the talent across the board. Um, defensive back is a big question after this spring. Um, why don't you talk about, uh, I, I don't know, just kind of pick your pick your litter from any of the guys I just mentioned, Jeff. Do any of them, uh, if any of them kind of excite you in any particular way, or you feel like we're really telling for what Baylor felt like they need in 2023 that they perhaps didn't have in 2022?
1: So the, I think the big difference, uh, there was a difference, I think, in the, in the portal usage this year versus the previous year. And I, that, that was notable, notable to me. And, and so I think for fans that, and this is this is specific to Aranda, but Aranda it clearly works off a very tight. I'm going to call it almost like a fiscal year, and I think the fiscal year starts basically um, when school starts in January and runs through uh, recruiting, basically through the end of the recruiting signing period, um, and it's three hundred and fifty five days long.
0: Yeah, so you get and, Christmas off. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's about it. Because we've seen this now where, you know, they let they let a recruiting guy go after this. And they, it's a guy that's been there for a year. Um, they let you know, he has let guys go every single year he has fired staff members. Um, and so they have a very clear, you know, it, he has he has a clear this is what we're going to focus on for this next year. I'm going to evaluate at the end of the year. And then based off my evaluations, I'm going to make changes then, but I'm going to table this for the rest of the year until we get to that point. And so I think one of the things that he did decide to proactively change was his, was the way he wanted to use his, um, the portal, you know, prior to this, there's been a lot of, we're going to let some of the senior guys stay on and we're not going to be that aggressive with um, people leaving. And I, they really weren't that aggressive with people leaving this year. You know, if you look at the last three years and you look at how many people get have been moved on to the portal, it's not that many. They just had done it so infrequently the past couple of years that it feels like a lot. But to me, the thing that stands out is their decision to go after broad depth. Um, I think that they – I think the 2019 and 2020 recruiting classes are thin, and I think that that really – if it hadn't been for the COVID super senior season that has kind of at, let a bunch of guys hang around a little bit longer than we would normally expect, it would be a lot more pronounced because we're so used to, there, there's a saying in some general manager's offices where they talk about that familiarity doesn't mean, doesn't mean uh, competence. So just because you know a guy for three years doesn't mean he's any good. There's a bunch of players on Baylor's... On Baylor's thing, on Baylor's team, particularly last year, where these guys were fifth-year seniors, and you just kind of assumed that they were, they had it, and they didn't really have it. Um, they just, it didn't matter that they were 22, 23. They just weren't good football players. And that's that they have been more aggressive in trying to backfill some spots and making sure there's high-quality depth across the board. That's the, been the biggest takeaway for me. It's been the broad-based nature of it. They haven't looked at it in a very targeted way. They did. Last year or the year before, which is, you know, we need a specific QB and we need the one boundary cornerback or we need like the one catch radius wide receiver guy. It hasn't been that really. It's been we need to upgrade our talent levels. So we're going to go into the portal and look for the guys that fit us best. And if we find those guys, then we'll make room at that point and go from there.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, that's that's just been a big change. And so that with all that being said, the two the two areas that stand out to me, the Barrington brothers. I mean, it's going to be a whole new offensive line. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be a whole, new line. um, I I'll be honest. I don't really, the, the, unlike in 2021, it's not going to be the guys of oh, their, they're going to be new guys that are, that are internal that
0: they're not going to go team. back to only running wide zone again, <laughs> they're Not going to running wide zone.
1: but it is going to be a different, um, it's going to be interesting to see what those guys i mean there's just so many new guys how are they going to gel you know i i'm i'm really fascinated by that and then um i'm i'm most interested in in db play more so than anything else like that is the the db play was just it was bad, bad. it was bad there's no way to put it it was and, bad and i really
0: don't think it was jeff and you know curious whether you disagree i, I really don't think it was Obviously, talent is always going to be a part of things. Baylor has some decent talent on the back end, and I think they're going to add some more talent too, uh, but just something went right in the water. Um, and I think the fact that Aranda fired one of his guys after only being there for a year kind of tells you something there. So uh, curious to see how that side of the ball looks.
1: Yeah, I I, I do think it was more than just talent level. Um, I think talent level was obviously a big part of it, but yeah. I don't think it was just talent level. I think that you know, there's, there's a reason the safety coach was gone – Almost immediately, they didn't wait around for him to try to find another job. They moved on from him yeah. almost instantaneously. Um, and they're, you know, I, it, in the modern game, coaches, it, kids like the Scott Drew approach. Scott Drew, Scott Drew had the 2023 vibes in 2007, and <laughs> Baylor fans did not that yet, but The Scott drew the Scott drew approach is what works with college kids today. And you'll hear, you will hear a ton. I mean, that's not just me saying that that is across the board, high school coaches will tell you that college and college football coaches are that college basketball coaches will tell you that the, the, the coach that I grew up with, of the, the Bobby Knight type, where it's my, my way or the highway. Um, we're going to call you a euphemism for a, female body part if you are, don't make a tackle as strongly as you can at all times of the day and night. Um, that kind of stuff doesn't really happen as much anymore. I mean, does that language it used to guys get yelled at? Yes, that yes, that happens. Does it happen to the degree that it used to when like, I was in high school or you know i think most of the people listening to this grew up uh either watching going to college or uh, when they were playing in high school i mean it, it really does like the scott drew approach is what is the approach that kids like and that was that was just not that was not robert's approach um that is Powell's approach kids love him like yeah. that is not a petrie loves him um I just I could name almost any kid on that defense, particularly the secondary. We'll talk about how much they love him. They think he's awesome, and the they, they are going to. This was a Joeyism, but you got to get guys to run out the field. Our Browns used to say this too. Like at the end of the day, you have to get guys to run out of the tunnel for you. Yeah, and they are going to run out of the tunnel for Palance in a way that I don't think they were running out of the tunnel for Roberts by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, there. They're, one of the great quotes that Cody gave me was how good palage because as a high school coach you can kind of watch the assistant coaches do their thing in the in the room um and he said you know watching palage command the room uh it was just really clear like how much the kids responded to him and respected him he was like college kids are not it's not easy to kind of command a room full of 10 kids have their full attention get full buy-in you know all that kind of stuff and palage is really good at that uh okay we got like 90 seconds left here jeff I wonder if I can get a quick answer from you here. Um, this the schedule came out um, at the very beginning of this episode. Kind of talked about how Baylor's coming off a lackluster six and six year. I'm curious for your thoughts of there is a lot of movement that is going to happen between now and fall, and so I don't want you to give a record prediction. I just am curious at your thoughts with a random basically going from two wins to Sugar Bowl to six wins. What do you feel like as fans? a reasonable, like, I don't really care how they get there, but they need to reach this number this year. And I'm sure the staff feels the same way and Mac Rhodes feels the same way for maintaining my positive momentum. My number I'm putting there is kind of like eight wins. Again, this isn't a record prediction. I'm not saying eight and four, but that to me feels like the number to where, okay, I don't really care how much you had to deal with injuries like in this respect, unless it was catastrophic. Like you need to figure out a way way to get to eight wins this year. To feel like things are really moving in a positive direction, seven and five, I think there's some context that could that could make that okay, but I think any kind of situation where you're dealing with back to back six and six or seven and five type years that's where things get pretty hairy. How do you, you know what are your thoughts on that?
1: yeah i eight wins is the number that jumped out to me as well. you know I, I think the schedule is really weird um they have two of their three hardest games in September, and then like after the tech game they have like one home game against a team for like seven weeks I mean it's really yeah on
0: eight game. home games it's crazy <laughs>
1: it's, it it's a weird schedule um and you know they've got they've got at Kansas State and at TCU um I'm, I'm, I I wasn't sold on TCU last year I'm not sold on TCU for next year you know I I thought they were eight and four. Win. I thought they were eight and four team that had the best luck on the face of the earth last year. Maybe a nine and three team. That's kind of what I think they're going to be next year. I, you know that, that that game doesn't like fill me with terror, um, but the Kansas State game, Kansas State game does. Yep. But climbing still there. they the the um I think eight and four is kind of my first my first initial thought. You know they could. I don't know that they're going to be able to fix all the issues in the secondary as quickly as we would like, but the offense and because they have so many hard games at the start of the season, even if they're at home, Utah and Texas at home are not going to be easy games. Um, You know, if you can figure out a way to get through the tech game with like only two losses, because I think tech's going to be a lot better next year as well. I think tech next year is the year for tech to have a big, they should take a big step next year. If they don't, I'm going to be surprised. But if if they get significantly if if they can't get through those that, that first part of the schedule with only two losses, it's gonna be a little disappointing to me. I think that they are gonna be able to be queued up for a really good run into October and November because of the way the schedule works out. Um, I would be I would be disappointed in anything in less than eight four. That's really where I come down to. I just that yeah based off what I see of the team right now, who they were able to land the transfer por- por- transfer portal, basically barring both QBs getting significantly injured. And at that point it becomes a, you know, everybody has a 2009 Baylor where everyone gets injured in a seven and five season turns into four wins. Like th- that, that does. happen. Um, I think that unless you have something like that for this year, then eight, eight wins is going to be, if they get less than eight, I'm going to feel a little bummed. Yeah. Honestly, like that, that's really where I look at.
0: Yep. I agree. Um, cool. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, hopefully we'll talk sometime, you know, either kind of towards the start of spring ball or towards the end or something like that. I don't know. We'll see, but uh appreciate it. Um, and look forward to sp- talking to you soon. Absolutely. You'll have a great one. All right, man.